Good morning, everyone. Let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Lord, uh, before we start, I am reminded of our call of worship this morning, where the psalmist declared that you are Israel's great help. Help means, Lord, um, being our helper means, implies, strongly implies that we cannot do anything apart from you. And that is very true. For the arrogant men, prideful men, think they can exist apart from you, we know better. From our creation, to our salvation, to our sanctification, we need your help to do these things. So, Father, you have done miracles through the preaching of your word in our church. Father, that is evidence of the fact that you are a great helper. So I ask for your help this morning once again. May these words not just be concepts or abstractions, but may these words be the power of the living God. Father, may you use these words to, 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 to save us and to sanctify us and make us holy. May you use these words to give us a proper vision of what reality is. May you use these words, Lord, to testify to the work of Jesus Christ. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you turn, these off? turn the slide on? There you go. Yeah, I'm blind. I need light. So we're back in Genesis again. So uh, every good preacher starts his sermon with a story. So I will start with a true story. So three weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Yeah, three weeks ago was my daughter's birthday. Ten, yay. So my daughter wanted to have a sleepover for her birthday party. No problem. So five ten-year-old girls were sleeping over our house. It got interesting. So they would like play, 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 and boy, they just talk nonstop, eh? Right? And then they talk, 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 and then you hear cry. Someone's crying. So I go downstairs, and one feels left out. So I just have to go, and I had to, I had to play the pastor card. I have to like play mediation. I gather all the girls together. We talked it out. Right? Okay. And everyone's good. So I went upstairs. They talk, 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 giggle, giggle, giggle. 1 a.m., I hear cries again. So you go downstairs. Everyone get together. And I do the pastoral thing. And we all encourage one another, and it's good. So it was like constant chatter, loud chatter, intermittent by crying. Right? It's crazy. So I remember, and I was like, as I was doing that, I was remembering like when Caleb had a sleepover when he was 10, that age. When Caleb had a sleepover with his friend, it was no talking, just video games, right? And then they would like start fight, fighting with one another. Really, in the middle, they were like, like two against one. They would like gang up and they would like start arguing. And I go, what the heck is going on? And they go, I'm sorry, Dad, right? I don't need to talk. It's very easy. What's going on? Sorry, right? And they would like, and then they would start fighting again. It's crazy. So it's two sleepover, vastly different experiences. By the way, sleepover with boys is much easier. Anyway, right? So vastly different, because it's less boring. You've got to go and like talk to girls and stuff, right? It's vastly different experiences. So it was then that I realized men and women are different. By the way, what I just said, it's hate speech, and I, should, I can go to jail for it in the next 10 years, right? But this is, this is called hate speech. This is, not, is this being recorded? I guess I give, I'll be fired, Right? But men and women are different. You could clearly tell men and women are different. Right? And the, way, the reason why we're different is because God designed us differently. And that's what, what we're going to talk about today. There's a fundamental design, right, that God has, you know, God has wired us differently. 
And this, I think, is very true. And it's supported by science. It really is. Right? An example is, is Scandinavian countries. Where are the Scandinavian countries? I'm, I'm ignorant. Denmark? Is Denmark a Scandinavian country? Is Norway a Scandinavian Okay, see, we, we are, are no, like resident Viking, right? So, Norway, right? Sean's a Viking, by the way. Viking blood flows in his mouth. Like, Norway, right? It's the most socially progressive country in the world, right? And as a socially like, progressive country, the Scandinavian countries say, you know what? We're going to get rid of gender roles, right? No longer are we going to assign gender roles to everyone. Right? So even in elementary school, teachers constantly tell their boys and girls, boys and girls, you're all equal, and that's true. You can be whatever you want, boys and girls. You don't have to be, if you want to play with doll boys, you can play with dolls. If you want to play soldier girls, you can play with soldiers. Yay! And they try to like do this, right? But you know what happens, though? After those boys and girls grow up, when they become, start to have jobs, in Scandinavian countries, one of the most progressive countries in the world, if you look at the professions that men and women choose, Engineering, for example, is predominantly dominated by boys, men. Nursing is still predominantly dominated by women. Isn't it weird? The socially progressive country that says men and women are the same, if you look at profession-wise, men tend to go to the profession that's traditionally reserved for men, which is engineering, right? And cop, being a cop. And women tend to gravitate towards more of a female role, which is like motherly type, which is nursing, Medicine, right? It's an education. So what this sociology study shows is it's not cultural. The role of men and women is not really culture. It's, it's biological, it's spiritual. Something in our brain is wired for us to be a certain way. Why, once again? Because God has designed it that way. Right? Despite what culture tries to teach us, where, where there is no difference between men and women, the Bible says, no, 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 no. There's a difference between men and women. One is not better than the other. We'll talk about that later. Right? If you think you're, a be- you're better because you're a man, then you know, you're dumb. Right? And if, you, if, you, if, you, if a woman female thinks you're better, more knowledgeable, more, you know, have more leadership ability than, than men, then I don't want to be insensitive. Ladies, you're dumb too. Right? It's not one, one, one or the other, but it's just different. Once again, that is how God designed it. And that's the main purpose of what we're studying, what we, what we have been studying in, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That God designed reality, right? Him being the creator, God Elohim, the mighty God, what that means is he's a designer of reality. Just like J. Crew designed his shirt, God designed reality. The reality that you and I know was designed by God. And he didn't design reality in a chaotic way. He designed reality with, in a very orderly way. They are laws, right? There are laws to reality. There are laws to reality. Our problem is we don't think there's, there are laws to reality. We think reality determines upon how we think, but that's not true. There are ways that God has created things to be. When we conform to those laws, whether they're material laws or spiritual laws, when we conform to those laws, we have order, peace, and life. When we go against the law of reality, we have chaos. Today's Sunday. Sunday is about church and football, right guys? And I don't know much about football, right? But what I know is, who is the greatest quarterback in Washington Redskins history? Do you know? Who is it? Who? 
Joe Theismann. Look at that, Rob. Joe Theismann is the greatest quarterback in Washington wrestling history, right? And he retired when I was 16. You know why Joe Theismann retired when, he was, when I was 16? They were playing against the Giants, right? Was they were playing against the Giants, and he was about to, like, you know, the, I don't know what you, is it called? Scrimmage? What is it? Rush? I don't know. Giants were rushing, right? And he, like, and so he was about to, like, throw, but someone tried to, sack, someone sacked him, right? So what happened was his leg was pinned, so his leg was like this, but his body went the opposite direction. So his leg was right here, and his body just, like, went this way. So his leg and his body were going on different directions. And you know what happens when that happens? The bone pops up off the leg. His body, his body wanted to go this direction. His leg goes, no, I want to go this direction. So it broke. Ended his career. That is a very simple way the reality works. Whether it is material reality or spiritual reality, that is how reality works. The reason why we're suffering a lot it's because reality is meant to go this way, but you want to go that way. And there's a disconnect, and there's chaos, and there's suffering because of that. And the reason why we're studying Genesis chapter 1 is precisely to hone it over and over and over again. That God is a determinant of reality, and not you. And you can see God's reality, evidence of God's design everywhere. Once again, men and female, the way that we work, that's an evidence. Another evidence is what we talked about last week, work. We have an innate desire to work. I realize work is toilsome, work is cumbersome, work is stressful. I realize, right, when I get up, first, time, first thing that I want to get, like, first thought in my morning when I get up is, I don't want to go to work, and I realize all that. But despite the, 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 the difficulty of work, you cannot ignore. There is an innate desire for us, a need for us to work. Why? Because we're made in the image of God who works. That is why if you don't work, you go insane. Right? It's, I think it's true. And I, like, like I talked about last week, one of, the most, one of the psychologists that I respect, his advice to young men who are suffering from depression, his advice to young men who are suffering from depression is this, go get a job, any job, whether it is serving at McDonald's or whether it's sweeping the streets, go get any job because job because work will give your life order. Unemployment, not doing anything, playing video games all day, that will result in your life. That, that will result in chaos of your life. And chaos breeds depression. I was, I was looking at watching a 60 minutes document, 60 minutes last week. And it's about, and 60 minutes for you don't know, it's like an interview show. And they were interviewing Paul McCartney. You know who Paul McCartney is, kids? Who's Paul McCartney? He's a Beatle, right? Who's the Beatle? Beatle is like, the, is like the, the most famous rock group in the history of, history of mankind, right? There's no rock, I don't, I don't care how hot BTS is, they're not going to be as popular, they're not going to be as like revolution influential as the Beatles are, right? They are, they're not, because I saw BTS music video, I have no idea what they're saying. And they're speaking Korean. I, I, I don't know what, what that means. Beatles were the revolutionaries, right? Of rock. There was no one who's more influential, famous than Paul McCartney and the Beatles. Paul McCartney is 75 years old. He just made a new record. He's going on a world tour. And the interviewer asked him, you're a Beatle for crying out loud, man. What is there more to prove? You could just say, I've done it. That's it. I'm retiring. Paul McCartney says, even though you may think that way, 
But there's a need I have in me to create. He's saying, even though he's as wealthy as anyone can possibly be, and as famous, as influential as anyone can possibly be, he still needs to work. Why? Because we're made in the image of God who works. Right? So work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. And you can see in verse 20 what man, man did. Right? What did man do in verse 20? He looked at the animals and he named it. Right? What, what, what kind of, what, that's, that's one of the work that Adam did. So how did he name it? Did he like, look at a lobster and go, lobster, fish, lion. Did he like, arbitrarily just start assigning names? No. Right? The biblical like, view is, he actually studied the animals. Right? He actually like, studied what they were doing, their behavior, right? and he just came up with a name that he labeled it according to their properties. So him labeling animals is really active, creative work that he did. Right? This was before the fall, so the work that he did wasn't toilsome, sinful work, like the work that was contaminated by sin. It was pleasurable work. Like when I, when I think of this, I think of my daughter. Right, my daughter loves to draw. She just needs to create. She draws all the time. I have no paper, printer paper in my office because she just takes it. Right, she draws, and that's work. She takes great, great pleasure in that work. My wife plays the piano. Right, plays, nah, 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 and that's just work for her. But she loves doing it. That's the type of work that Adam did. Work. We work, we get pleasure from work because we are created in the image of God. Our desire for work is, one, once, once again, uh, an evidence to how we're designed according to the image of God. Right? God is a designer of reality. Our life only works when we conform to his design. How do we know what, what God's design for reality is? We know God's design for reality based on his word. God created us based on his word. And we know God's purposes of reality based on his word. Right? How do you know? Verse 16 and 17. God, made, God gives Adam two commands. Right? In verse 16 he says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Ye, should, ye may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what is God doing in verses 16 and 17? He's giving Adam two commands. One is a positive command. You can eat from anything, any tree in the garden, you can eat it. Right? Commandment number one. Commandment number two. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you, can, you shall not eat. A prohibitive command. A positive command and a prohibitive command. In paradise, before sin entered, there was still God's law. Right? In paradise, Adam wasn't free to do anything he wanted. No, Adam was still confined to the law of God. The question is, why did God give Adam those laws? Well, it goes, you know, if if you want to explain the reasoning behind the laws, every reasoning behind the laws, we could be here for a long time. And you guys know how I like short sermons, right? You guys know that. So, one of the reasons why God gave Moses these two laws in the Garden of Eden, right, is to show Adam, right, 
reality is defined by how he defines it, and not how Adam defines it. These commands clearly show, right? Adam, even though Adam is free, Adam still has to, Adam's reality is still confined according to the realities of God. Right? But giving Adam these two commandments, God is saying, Adam, hey, Adam, all this, is, all this you can manage and it is yours, but you still have to conform to the terms of my reality. Does that make sense? Is it too philosophical and deep? Small group leaders, do you understand this? Nod your head if you understand it. That's what law is. The law shows us that we're not the determiner of reality. It is God who determines reality. And it is God who designs reality. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam knew this. Adam did. And Adam obeyed. Because Adam clearly knew he was creature. God is creator. And because Adam inherently knew this, God's law made sense. The law of God teaches us, shows Adam, this is God's world, this is God's reality, and not Adam's. Why does God warn Adam of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? One of the reasons why God warns that is that that temptation of the tree is this. The temptation of that tree is, if I, if I go and eat from that fruit, that I think I have, the, I have the right to determine what is right and wrong. If Adam, the temptation of that tree is, by going to that tree and taking the bite of the, of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam is really saying, I don't really need God to show me what is good and, good and evil. I can make the decision of what is good and evil all by myself. You see what's going on here? Even though God is a determinant of reality, the temptation of that tree is if I eat from that tree, I don't need God to show me what is right and good. I can make that determination all by myself. And that's exactly what's how Satan tempted Eve. We're going to talk about it next week. But how did Satan tempt Eve? He, he shows Eve that tree and saying, if you eat from that tree, you will not die, but you will know what is good and, good and, good and, good and evil. You don't need God to tell you what is good and evil, Eve. You can make that decision all by yourself. That is the temptation that Satan gives to Eve. And, at, and Eve obeyed that, that, that temptation. But Eve and Adam and Eve partake eating from that fruit. They're saying, even though God is the designer of reality, I'm not going to conform to whatever how God designed it. I'm going to make decisions for myself what good and evil is, what right and wrong is. That's kind of foolish, isn't it? God is a designer of reality. Man did not design reality. Reality conforms to what God said it does, not what man thinks it ought to do. But from the moment Adam and Eve rebelled against God, that is our mentality. It is not God who tells me what to do. It is I who make decisions what is right and wrong. Isn't that true? From Adam and on, that's exactly what we do. I don't need the word of God to tell me what to do, what right and wrong is. I will do how I feel what is right and wrong is. But that's just foolish. Because why? Because you didn't design the world. You didn't, you didn't design reality. 
And there's constant, therefore, we're cursed, right? Once again, the Joel Theismann example. Reality is always going this way, and you always want to go contrary to reality. How do you know this? You know what? Number one reason why people go to psychiatrists. You know what the number one reason is, they say? They, they just can't get over the fact that reality doesn't conform to what they, what they think it ought to be. They don't, people don't do what they, what, what other people don't do what they think they ought to do. Life is not turning out the way they think it ought to turn out. And they're so disappointed and angry about it. No more reason. Reality and everything in it is not going the way you thought it would. What is anxiety? What is worry about the future? Worry about the future is, you're worried that the reality is not going to go the way you hope it will. You're so afraid that life is not going to turn out the way you think it's, where you hoped it to turn out. You're so worried about that. We are worried because we're worried about things that, that, that we shouldn't be worried about because reality, we're not to determine what reality is. But men and women don't know that. They still think reality ought to, it ought to be what they think it ought to be. And, and, and when we constantly do that, everything that God has created, like this world that God has created, becomes becomes, we, we damage it. And we go contrary to God's design. Every time we think we're the determiner of what is right and wrong, we're going against, contrary to the way God designed it to be. And that it can clearly be shown in our, in our relationship with other human beings. Look, today, we talked about creation of men and women. Right? Let's talk, so, in verse 18, right, God said, it is not good for man. To, it is not good that man should be alone. So the, the main reason why God made women is it is not good for man to be alone. Let's first talk about it. It is not good for man to be alone. The word "good" we, we, that we talked about in Genesis chapter one. Good. The word "the good" means this ultra satisfactory, perfect condition that God has made. He, everything he created, God called it good, which means he satisfied the way those things are designed. The, the first place in the Bible where God said it is not good is when he looked at man. And when he looked at Adam, he says, it is not good, it is not perfect, it is not the way that I want it to be designed for man to be alone. God has designed human beings not to be alone. It is contrary to our design to be alone. Do you understand? Because we're made in the image of the Trinity, we are designed to have relationship with other people. We're neurologically, biologically, spiritually wired to have relationship with other people. Look, there's a new scientific field called interpersonal neurobiology. And what interpersonal neurobiology is saying is human beings are hardwired to have relationship with other people. And if you don't have relationship with other people, you'll die, basically. A book called Social by the, uh, UCLA psychology professor Matthew Lieberman, he says, you know, there's two parts of our brain. One is purely analytical, and the other part is social. And the social part of our brain always examines our life in relationship to other people. Do I have friends? Do they like me? Am I accepted? The path of our brain is constantly analyzing our relationship with other people. 
So these two fields of studies, right, like interpersonal neurobiology and social by Matthew Lieberman, they tell us we are just hardwired to need other people. In fact, they say the number one cause, the interpersonal neurobiologists say, loneliness is worse of a health issue than smoking or obesity. Loneliness causes more damage to a person's health than obesity and smoking. Right? Because loneliness triggers stress genes. I'm not a scientist. And these stressful genes just totally reshape our brains. Loneliness kills us. Why? Because we're designed to have relationships with other people. Period. And because God, and, and this is evidence of the fact that God has created us to have interpersonal relationships with other people. And that is why God created women. It is not natural, it is not good for man to be alone. Therefore, what, what did God do? He created woman. We are incomplete. Men are incomplete without women. Humanity is designed for men and women. Humanity in God's vision, God's idea of humanity is man and woman. Humanity is complete when both men and women exist. I went to the Korean army, obviously, because I'm a tough guy. And for six weeks, no women. For six weeks, all I saw was dudes all over the place. And reality became really strange. It became like really, like, like, what's the word? Like, rough? There wasn't beauty? Right? There's just dudes. And there's something lacking in that. Right? I used to teach English in Korea. So one of my classes, it was all women. That was bizarre too. Right? It's all like talking. God's design for human beings is men and women together. Men are incomplete without women, and women are incomplete without men. That's how God designed it. God wired us to have interpersonal relationships, and the way that He designed us to have relationships is by creating men and women. So, this is a part of the sermon that's going to get rough. Let's talk about women as suitable helpers of men. Right? Here we go. So, men created women, God created women to be a suitable helper for men. What are you talking about? I'm a helper? I'm not, I'm no servant. Shoot. Right? I'm not, I'm not created to, you know, wear my husband's hand and feet. Shoot, I'm my own woman. And that's all true. Let's talk about what God means for the woman to be a helper. What does it mean for a woman to be a helper? He doesn't mean our fallen idea of what helper is, which is like serving someone, which is kind of involved in it. But the word helper usually implies, in the Bible, it implies to describe God. Our, our, our call to worship this morning Right? Over and over again, the psalmist says, God is our helper. Right? What does it mean for God to help Israel? It means Israel cannot do things by themselves. Israel cannot save themselves. Israel cannot defeat enemies by themselves. Israel cannot do anything. They need God's help. That's what, that's what, what, what it means to be a helper. I cannot do anything apart from the help of God. And that is very, very true. In my personal life, whether it is field at work, whether it is home, whether it is here, I cannot do anything apart from God's help. And that is certainly true. 
And that's what the word helper means. Someone who can do things that you cannot do. Right? It doesn't mean women are gods. Clearly that's not what it means. But it means, women mean helper means, women do things that men cannot do. Right? Just like Israel cannot do anything apart from God, men are not designed to do things apart from women. That's what it means to be a helper. Everyone clear on this? It's not a, it's not, helper doesn't mean connotating a lesser degree of, of, of humanity, but it is something that you, we cannot do, I cannot do as a man what, 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 what my wife can do as a woman. The word suitable, or today ESV says fit helper. What does it mean to be fit helper or suitable helper? It means the opposite. The word suitable means opposite. They're not like me. Women are not like us, man. And, and ladies, we are certainly not like you. We're different. We're designed to be different. So suitable helper means someone who's different from you, who will help you, who will complete you. Men are incomplete without women, and women are incomplete without men. God's idea of human, human being is men and women, like, like a puzzle, fitting different parts and making, one, and making one whole piece. That's what it is. Once again, human beings are designed to have a relationship, and the primary way that we are having design of human relationship is by men and women completing each other. That's what it means for a woman to be a suitable helper. And what other do we think do we know about women, the way that God created women? Women are also not only a suitable helper, they're different and they complete us. Women are made of the same substance as we are. Right? From where did, how did God create man? Did God create man out of nothing? What did God use to create man? What did God use to create man? Smart girl leaders. What? God created us. God created man, Adam, with a rib? Dirt. So Adam wasn't created out of nothing. Adam was created through the dirt. Right? Women was created through our rib. Right? Women are the first creatures that were created out of a living substance, which is man. Women are created with the same substance as man. Man was created in the image of God, and by creating with the same substance as man, women are also created in the image of God. You get it? By, by women being created with our rib, God is saying, you are the same substance. He doesn't mean, because women are created through your rib, women are, less, like, women are inferior to you. That's not what it means. If you think women are inferior to you because women came from your rib, you're really saying then dirt is, dirt is superior to you because you're from the dirt. Right? You know, that's what we think, right? Yeah, we're superior because women came from my rib. Really? Then dirt, the ground that you walk on, is your master, isn't it? Origin doesn't mean hierarchy. Origin means substance. Women are made of the same substance as we are. That's what it means. So women are those beings that make, make, makes us complete. They're different from us, but they complete us. And they're made in the same substance as us. Therefore, women are made in the image of God. That's, how God, that's what it means for God to create woman. Right? 
And when Adam looked at Eve, he goes, wow, you are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He's saying, you're part of me, you're like me, but different. It's wonderful. And Adam celebrated Eve. Right? It was perfect. So far, so good. What did Adam and Eve do? What did they do? They did what they shouldn't do. They disobeyed God by eating from the knowledge of the tree of the good and evil. They're saying, you know what, God, I don't need you to tell me what is right and wrong. Me, as a creature, can decide for myself what is good and wrong. Me, as a creature, can decide what reality is. And they try to leave God out of the picture. And what happens when they start leaving God out of the picture? The closest human relationship, men and women, it starts to fall apart, right? The moment they disobey, the moment they try to leave God out of the picture, what happens? Men start to blame the woman. The woman you gave me did this to me. Right? That's our story from that moment on. It's the woman's fault. I'm just an innocent party, God. But Eve, the woman you created, gave me the fruit. Right? They start blame shifting. What else, what else do they do? They start to be ashamed one with one another. They realize they're naked, and they start to cover themselves from each other. Even though they're created to be one, there's a division now, right? Them being ashamed means there's a division. They blame shift, they divide. And what happens from that moment on? Adam becomes indifferent to Eve. The reason why Adam's sin is so horrible is he, he abdicated responsibility. He, he, he was indifferent to his responsibility. God told Adam to take care of Eve, lead Eve. Adam says, nope, I'm going to let Eve lead me. There's an indifference to his responsibility. And from that moment on, men everywhere are indifferent. Right? I just want to watch football, babe. Leave me alone. I want to go in my man cave, babe. Don't talk to me. I just want to make money and be left alone. Indifferent. What do women do? God says, you will want to control your husband. And that is certainly true. Right? That's the curse. We're going to talk about it next week. Women want to, want, to, want to control men. If women say, if, I just, if they do what I think they should do, then it's going to go well. And so they constantly criticize. And men constantly want to just avoid criticism. They just, they just want to be indifferent. History of human beings, my friend. There's a division. There's blame shifting. There's a clear separation between this close human relationship. And we're isolated. Even though we're meant to be together, we're isolated from one another. That's what happens to Adam and Eve. What happens after the next generation, Cain and Abel? What happens after that? Cain kills Abel. The moment Adam and Eve, like, in, like declare independence of God. There's a separation between them, and th- and after that, their kids killed each other. And after that, the whole community starts killing each other, and sin just spreads. Hate spreads. Isn't that true? The moment that Adam and Eve div- like like went against God, they were cursing humanity to live a divisive, destructive life. That is exactly what is happening in the history of the world, isn't it? 
history of the world is made up of people who kill each other, who rule each other, who rape each other, who steal each other, who criticize each other. It's just, it's just a bloody history. Even though God has created man not to be alone, to be interconnected with other people, because we turned our back against God, because we want to embrace the reality as what we want it to be, we start killing one another. Isn't that what your reality is right now? Isn't it? You don't know? Look. So there's a book called Words Can Change Your Brain. Right? And that's... Is that, where's that book? Oh. There's a book called Words Can Change Your Brain. And it's written by two doctors, Andrew Newberg and uh, Dr. Mark Baldwin. And, his, and the book is pretty, pretty much saying one negative word can change the structure of your brain. One negative word like releases stress hormones that can fundamentally reshape your brain. One word, it's like lights, one bad word lights up the same parts of your brain as getting punched in the face. If you punch me in the face, I dare you to do it because I'm fast, but if I get punched, if you punch me in the face, there's a, there's, a, there's a pain receptor in my brain that says, ow. That same area lights up when you call me fat or ugly. But the difference between being punched in the face is, ow, and it goes down. But when you call me fat and ugly, that painful part just lingers on for a long time. It changes the structure of my brain. Words are far worse than being punched in the face. Right? And human beings use words. You use words. I use words. Indiscriminately. And we're constantly reshaping the brains of other people. You don't see the word, the damage that you're, you don't, you're not, we're not, we don't realize the words, the damage that words do because we can't see it. But it's happening. People are just stabbing each other all the time. Punching each other all the time with your words, with your criticisms. All the time. There's no one in the history of the world who has not been damaged by other people. And that's certainly true of your life. You know what makes me cringe? When I look at married people, and when I look at my life as well. Married people constantly just criticizing each other. Right? Just like like little comments of of aggression. Little comments of disrespect. Oh, you're fat. Right? Oh, don't buy that. You, 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 like, you gain weight. You, don't, don't bother buying that shirt. You, you, you look fat. Can't you make more money? Can't you help around the house more? There's this, like, little... Like... Right? It's like a ninja. And, like, because we're so used to taking it, we're just going to take it. Right? But I'm telling you, those things build. So when I look at other people do it, it makes me cringe. When I did to my wife, I think people cringe too. What you're in your personal life right now, you are living contrary to the way God designed you to live. God designed you to live kindly, to, to work together, to need other people. But you spend the entirety of your life 
hurting people, like, like you know, stabbing people. That's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. No wonder our life is a mess. No wonder our lives are dissatisfying. That's what we're doing. We're living contrary to the image of God. whether it is a national scale or whether it is a, in a local scale. That's what we're doing. Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, what are the fruits of the flesh? What are the, what are the evidence of the fact that we do not know God? Number one, sexual morality, sexual morality, sensuality. That means people using each other for sexual pleasure. That is evidence that you do not know God because you're using other people. What are the other evidence that you do not know God? There is envy, there's dissension, there's fits of rage, there's division, and there's strife. People hate each other. When you hate each other, when you're in fits of rage with one another, you do not know God, because God is not like that. And from the national setting to the local setting, that's what human beings do. Whether it is arguing over the Supreme Court, like justice, or whether it is your individual microscopic life, it is exactly what we do all the time. We're living in sin. We're living, exa- we're living a reality that's contrary to God's design. And you must understand that. And the world is bruised because of that. You are bruised because of that. What is God to do? God designed humanity to be a certain way. But humanity is constantly bruising, living contrary to design, and causing such destruction, what is God to do? I think it is fitting for him to just wipe it away and not bother with it, right? Just think about the harm that human beings do. Think about the harm that you do. I have a sister here, right? She cooks, and she she says she cooks, and after she cooks, if she tastes the food, if it doesn't meet her standard, you know what she does? She just throws everything away. Right? Sean goes, oh, waste of money. Right? But she says, it's not meeting my standard, therefore I'm going like, to throw it away. I'm going to start anew. Shouldn't God do that? Look, if I think about what I do and what I say and how I hurt my family and my wife, I think it is very, it's a good thing for God to wipe me away and start anew. Do you think God knew when Adam and Eve sinned exactly what their sin will cause? Do you think God knew because of Adam and Eve sinned there's going to be the Holocaust, there's going to be World War II, there's going to be Genghis Khan, there was going to be Mao, there's going to be Stalin? Of course he did. Millions of people died. Exactly because of what Adam and Eve did. Do you think God knew that? Do you think God saw what Adam and Eve was doing and knew that that's going to directly relate to the Holocaust? Of course he did. Then why did he kill Eve? Adam and Eve. Look, the, the time machine question. If you had a time machine and went back to the day that Hitler was born, would you kill Hitler? <coughs> would you? Most people say, yeah, I'll kill Hitler. Because I knew what Hitler's going to do. Right? Same thing. God knew exactly more than anyone else what Adam and Eve, what they, what, what they did, would, what, what it would lead to. God didn't kill Adam and Eve. 
He lets them live. Why did he let them live? So that he can save humanity through Jesus Christ. That is the only reason why he let Adam and Eve live. So that through Adam and Eve, through their lineage, Jesus Christ will come. And through Jesus Christ, that we will be saved. He's absolutely right to wipe us clean, but he doesn't do that. He lets us live so that the wrath that you and I deserve will fall on Christ. All the damages that we do, all the cost of that will fall on Christ. Why? So that you and I can be saved. And when we are saved, he gives us new eyes. When he gives us new eyes, we see the world and other people, we begin to see the world and other people through God's eyes through reality, through the way it ought to be. And that's true. One of the ways that you know God has saved you is He gives you new eyes to see the world and He gives new eyes to see the people in your life. That is why every time I do a membership interview, I love it. Because everyone who did a membership interview always tells me, I used to be this way, I had had, had this relationship with, with either my brother or my parents or my wife, but now it's different. Every membership interview that I went to, they say that kind of a thing. The way that I see the people in my life has changed. That's exactly what Jesus does. He saves you. He gives you new eyes. You know? Look, personal example. So, like, my wife asked me out on a date. Right? And when a pretty woman asks you out on a date, you comply. Right? So my wife says, can we go out? Yeah, and I try to play hard to get, I don't know, baby, let me, let me see my schedule. Right? You know, I want to be the cool guy. Right? But you know I'm going to say yes. So my wife says, I want to go out on Saturday. And I say, okay, baby. Right? So what do I do? I, I try to get all the sermon stuff done, work stuff done on Friday night. So I was working until like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. writing this. You're welcome. I was, doing the, I was writing until 4 a.m., right? And I slept, and I got up, and I went to the bazaar, right? So it was really good food, by the way. And I went back, like, and I wrote the sermon again, right? It was perfect, and we went out. Went to see A Star is Born. Very depressing, by the way. Don't recommend it, right? And, like, and during our, 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 our ride to there, right, our drive to there, like, we are discussing about the importance of art and truth, right? That's the type of discussion that we, my wife and I have. What do you guys talk about? We talk about art and truth, right? That's what we do. Right? It was a very deep theological, philosophical discussion. Right? We went to the movie, and I felt generous. We went to the concession stand. Hey, you want anything? She says no. And I said, okay, I'm getting popcorn. So I got a popcorn. Right? So I was like, oh, so far so good. Very romantic, very truthful, very good guy. So I was like, like, almost like thinking about preaching about this, to brag about you, how great a guy I am. So, sitting in the movie theater, talking about previews, and she started eating my popcorn. And I go, that's fine, right? But she started eating a lot. You know what I mean? So like, when you're having a popcorn, you want to like pace, your own, pace yourself, right? But my, every time I go for it, she goes for it too. It's so annoying, right? And I told my wife, man, you're eating fast. And my wife says, here, you eat it. And the Holy Spirit tells me, you idiot! <laughs> I try to be a good husband. I do. 
I work 4 a.m. to be a good husband. But I ruin it by my stupid word. But by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit tells me I'm an idiot. And shows me that I, wanna, that, that I hurt my wife. So I apologize. And I go, ah, here, popcorn. <laughs> That's what I do. Being saved doesn't make you a perfect human being. It doesn't. But what it does is it makes you a sanctified human being. God constantly works at you to remind you what reality is, to remind you what your wife is supposed to be, how you're supposed to treat your wife. It's true. It's a constant, evolving reminder, but he does it. That's the beauty of being saved, you know? He gives you new eyes. Every day he gives you new eyes. And when you start seeing things with new eyes, you become a better human being, you become a better husband, you become a better worker, you become a better person. That's the benefit of salvation. And that is why dating an an unbeliever, that's the danger of it, you know? I know all of us know dating an unbeliever is wrong, but the reason why it's wrong is unbelievers will never never see the way that God sees it. They can't. By their design, they see things the way they want to see it. That's what being a sin, that is what being unsaved means. You see things the way you want to see them. And you will never see the way God sees it. And if you don't see the way God sees it, you will never really change. You won't. Sure, unbelievers can be kind. Unbelievers can be pretty. Unbelievers can seem to fit your needs. But at the end of the day, what you really need is not someone who fits your needs. What you need is someone who is constantly looking at things through the eyes of God. And unbelievers cannot do that. How do I know? I try to counsel unbelievers, and there's a limitation of what I can tell them. There really is. They talk about their relationship problem with me, and there's only a certain things that I can tell them. Because they can't see the things the way God sees them. They refuse to. So if you're a single, but, but please consider this. They will never see the way that you will see things. They can't. That is why walking with the Lord is so important. Because He constantly gives you new eyes to see reality in other people the way they ought to be. And even if they are not, even if other people are fallen and they don't meet your standard, God gives you eyes to forgive them. He really does. It is only through Christ the relationships are restored the way they, they, they ought to be. And that is the gift of, 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 that is the mercy and grace of God. I ask you this morning, how is your relationship like with, your, with the most significant people in your life? With your parents? With your, with your siblings, with your in-laws, with your husband and wife, what is a relationship like? Is it constant just stabbing? Or is it being refined and being renewed? It needs to be renewed. And is renewed through the eyes of Christ. Ask Him for that grace. Let us pray. God has designed you to be a certain way. I think the problem is we think we are totally ignorant of the way God designed us. 
we are just lost in what we think is right, what we think it ought to be. And that is why there's a deep discontent and deep dissatisfaction, and that is why there's deep depression in your life. Especially your relationship with other people. People hurt you because they do not conform to the way that you think they ought to be. The way you forgive them, the way you love them, is by having the eyes of Christ. So for those of you who are having friction in your life, whatever friction that is, repent of it and ask you, ask Christ, ask the Holy Spirit to make you see life as as way as way the God designed it to be. That ask God to to show you the show you show you other people through the eyes of Christ. Persuade you to persuade you to see other people through the eyes of Christ. So that you will truly be able to love them the way God has God wants you to love. And if there's some of you here who are living contrary to God's design, if some of you are just living living lives that is just only about the way you want it to be, and you have no idea who God is, then you need salvation. You need to call out to the Lord and ask you to save, ask Him to save you. So for these things, let us pray. And for those of you who need prayer, Pastor Ujian and Jolene are in the back wanting to pray with you. So let us take this moment to pray. Father, the reality of sin is not an abstraction. It is our everyday life. There's so much strife. There's so much intentional and unintentional hurting that we do to other people. We use words of disrespect, criticism, negativity. And we constantly injure and wound the very people that you have called us to love. We constantly criticize our spouses. We belittle our children. We, we, we slander our co-workers. We complain about life. Father, the tragedy of us is that we think all, these, all this is just natural. We think it is natural to give in to lust. We think it is natural to, to hurt people. We think it's natural, Lord, to, 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 to be indifferent towards people. But Lord, it is not natural. It is unnatural because the way you created us to be is to, is to love people, is to be connected to them. The chaos of our lives, Lord, clearly shows us that we need a Savior. And our Savior, Lord, not only dies for us, but he gives us new eyes. I pray for new eyes to everyone in this room. May we not make the mistake of Adam and Eve. Father, by our natural design, we inherited what Adam and Eve has done, which is to judge reality based upon our perception of what is right and wrong. Help us, save us from that stupidity. Help us to see the greater reality, the true reality which is in you. By seeing true reality which is in you, help us to compel us to love other people, especially the difficult people in our lives. Father, the only way that our relationship will get better is for you to be intervene, for you to intervene in our lives. Father, I pray for that great help. I especially pray for my brothers and sisters who may go, who may go through relationship issues, especially single folks who are tempted to date unbelievers. Father, if there are some of us here who are going through such things, I pray that you you, you show them what truth is, save them from making a dangerous mistake, but convincing them that you are more real than anything else that anyone can ever offer. 
Father, if there are some of us here who are struggling with, because of unemployment, Father, I pray that you provide them with work. If there are some of us here who are going through physical ailments, I pray that you will heal them. If there are some of us here, Lord, who are going through other types of stress, I pray that you will help them meet their needs. But whether our struggle it is unemployment or relationship issues or, 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 or other issues of our lives, use all of it to show us that you care for us and that you exist. By delivering us from these things, may our faith in you become more real. All these things, in Christ's name we pray.